how women deal with this varies enormously. So some see it as part of the job, something they just have to learn to deal with, whereas others feel forced to leave a job and end up leaving a job that they would otherwise love. Prior to women uh, being employed to work in the port, the men had no toilet either. Right. It's not just a women's right to a, to a safe yeah, toilet, it's, it's, yeah. it's a worker's right. Change came about in the fire service when the fire brigades union started taking the issue seriously and worked with the fire brigade employers. You're listening to All Over the Place, a podcast from the International Transport Workers Federation. This is the podcast where we look at anything that affects transport workers, any issue, any area, any place. On this show, we're talking about the fact that women aren't, in fact, all over the place in the transport industry and what needs to be done to address the inequality. I'm Jodie Evans from the ITF Women's Department. Our guest today is Professor Tessa Wright from the Centre for Research Inequality and Diversity, part of the School of Business and Management at Queen Mary University of London. Tessa has researched and written widely on equality at work, with a focus on gender, sexuality and intersectionality, in particular in male-dominated sectors and occupations, including transport. In fact, Tessa is the author of Gender and Sexuality in Male-Dominated Occupations, Women Workers in Construction and Transport, which I can highly recommend. Tessa, thanks for joining us today on All Over the Place. Thank you. Tell us about your expertise. Well, I've been researching various aspects of gender equality at work for many years, and one of the things that's always struck me is the persistence of occupational gender segregation in some sectors, while other sectors and occupation have seen huge changes. So, for example, while professions such as law, accounting and medicine have seen huge increases in the number of women in recent decades, so that women are found in more or less equal numbers, in sectors such as construction and transport, will women still represent only very small numbers of workers? So I'm really interested in why there's been such significant change in gender balance in some areas of work and so little in others. Hmm. What benefits do you think there are for ending gender segregation in the workplace through the eyes of workers and employers? Well, I think given the huge societal change in attitudes about what women and men can do in society more broadly, it seems very limiting that some jobs, such as carpenters, plumbers, firefighters, engineers, um, are seen as suitable only for men, while jobs that involve caring for children or adults are still predominantly done by women. Yet I've spoken to many women in typically male jobs, such as firefighting, construction trades, train and bus driving, who all love their jobs and really value the sense of achievement that they get from putting out fires. Firefighter, female firefighters have told me it's the best job in the world. Um, or creating buildings um, that people see and use, um, or getting passengers safely to their destinations. So women get a, a huge sense of um, achievement from doing these kind of jobs. Um, they also talk about the changed workplace culture that comes from having a more gender-balanced workforce, with, I think, men also appreciating the less macho or blokey work environment. So I think there are kind of benefits for employers in, in terms of creating you know, work environments where more people actually want to work and want to remain, which of course is crucial because it's not just about recruiting people into these jobs, it's about retention so that these jobs become um, areas that, that, that have changed and where the gender balance sort of uh, stays um, m much more equal. 
that really resonates with uh, a lot of the stories that we hear from our affiliates mm. as well. Um, right. That you know, women and men transport workers share uh, a lot of those positive experiences where that gender balance has shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, what industries do you think are most affected? In terms of the still being gender very gender segregated, I yes. mean, I think transport is one of the worst um, in, alongside construction. I mean, you do have occupations like. Uh, engineering, but they've seen change. I mean, it, it, there are more women certainly going into engineering um, at university level, and that's filtering through. Um, but I think we do still have, I mean, one percent of tradespeople are, are women, uh, but but that and, and that hasn't changed significantly. However, you do see change in project managers on construction sites and other sort of managerial jobs. So again, that's part of the the, the, the issue, isn't it? That things can change and things have changed in some sectors so why is it that there's such resistance in in certain occupations still mm. so would it be fair to say that transport seems to be one of the more particularly stubborn uh, industries in terms of that addressing that um, those issues and achieving that change I think it I think it, I think it is and I think it's it's partly because some of the jobs and it's about what we see as suitable work for men and women and men's and women's skills I think there are still some kind of quite traditional ideas around you know women do caring job women women do clerical job women women do administrative jobs women do jobs that work with people whereas men do technical jobs men do mechanical jobs men can operate machinery they can drive but again we've seen we've seen change um, in those areas too and certainly um, what we hear from women transport workers um, is that there is a lot of um, judgment um, if they are entering one of those traditionally male mm. jobs like driving or mm. crane operating, for example, mm. um, that that does bring with it um, mm. a lot of judgment about their suitability oh, yes. uh, and their yes. capability of yes. undertaking such a role. Yes. Yeah. No, there's still a lot of stereotypes, aren't there, about you know women won't be as safe drivers or they won't be as able to deal with you know machines and changes um, mm. in technology but I think um, that on the other side w- without wishing to kind of be too stereotypical about men's and women's skills I think there are I've also heard people say well actually women are much safer drivers so some people feel that this is a positive thing that you have more women bus drivers for example or more women taxi drivers mm. so it can sometimes work in women's favour. Mm. <laughs> Tessa what other issues do you think come with this stereotypical gender segregation in the workplace? Well, of course, one important issue is pay. Uh, one of the causes of the persistent gender pay gap is that jobs that are typically done by women are less well paid, while jobs mostly occupied by men attract higher pay on average. And as I was saying earlier, this comes down to the valuation of certain sorts of work more highly than others. So care work mostly done by women is conceived, conceived as less skilled and perhaps something that's more natural for women to do, therefore it doesn't need to be rewarded so highly, whereas work um, that's involving technical mechanical skills um, is often paid better um, when that's usually work that's done by men which is interesting when you think that caring for people is is valued less highly than using machinery (laughs) very interesting what's your opinion of this uh, segregation specifically in transport I mean, the transport sector as a whole remains predominantly male, although, of course, within it, uh, there is gender segregation, so that women who are in the transport sector tend to be found in clerical sales or customer-facing roles, while men do the driving, engineering, more likely to be found in management roles than women. Um, And such patterns of occupational gender segregation create gendered workplace cultures. 
So bus garages, train depots, engineering offices, anywhere that are, that are predominantly male environments can become very masculine or macho work settings, which of course are difficult places for women to enter. And I've spoken to many women in jobs such as construction, firefighting, transport, who have faced hostility, bullying or sexual harassment when they enter male-dominated workplaces. And how women deal with this varies enormously. So some see it as part of the job, something they just have to learn to deal with, whereas others feel forced to leave a job and end up leaving a job that they would otherwise love. Um, but for all women, bullying and harassment comes at a cost and, still shouldn't, and shouldn't still be happening in workplaces today. Absolutely. Uh, Tessa, how are other industries tackling this problem? I think, yes, it's interesting that much progress has been made in, in some sectors in changing awareness about what is and isn't acceptable behaviour in the workplace. So, for example, most women I've interviewed in the construction sector feel that sexual harassment uh, in office environments is much less of a problem now than it was in the past, um, while it persists on some building sites. Um, so similarly, there were terrible incidents of sexual harassment of female firefighters when they first joined the job sort of 30 years ago or so. However, change came about in the fire service when the fire brigade's union started taking the issue seriously and worked with the fire brigade employers. And this involved fire brigades making clear their legal responsibilities to provide a safe working environment for, for everybody and showing that they'll take action to deal seriously with harassment when it occurs. So it's not, not a joke, it's not banter, it's something that they will... Uh, take disciplinary action about. Um, and I think also important was that the Fire Brigades Union itself changed its own practices around defending members accused of harassment so that women could go to the union and feel they would get taken seriously um, and they would get the support they needed and that the union was sending messages to its harassing members that this was not acceptable from the union point of view either. Excellent, and again, I can identify with um, other um, examples of that that we've um, that we're aware of from within our affiliates, where mm. that kind of um, ownership of the issues from the union within the union, mm. uh, changing policy, changing behaviours, um, has opened up the space for women to feel that the union is the vehicle for them to raise their issues, for yeah. them to feel that um, they have an entitlement. Uh, to a safer workplace, they have an entitlement to equality in the workplace, yeah. and all of that combined has led to a pressure uh, mm. on the employer to mm. um, to mm. change. Mm. I think unions have a vital role in that. It isn't always e easy to do. I know changing things internally, but it's is crucially important. Yeah. Mm. Tessa, can you share any examples of solutions that have helped make jobs accessible to women as well as men? I mean, in public transport, there has been a notice noticeable increase in the number of um, bus drivers who, who are women, um, certainly in the UK and I, I think in other countries too. And this has come about partly through recruitment ca campaigns that specifically target women, so changing public perceptions over who does these jobs. Um, so the, the um, Reading buses has women joining at a rate of around 40% due to proactive recruitment. And also trade unions such as Unite, who represent uh, bus workers in the UK, have also been involved with the employers in such recruitment campaigns, um, also giving women a chance to try out driving a bus um, and have increased the proportion of female applicants also to around 40%. Um, another issue uh, for transport workers is inflexible shift systems, which um, is often sort of stated as, as a reason uh, that, you know, it's just the shifts have to be organised in a certain way and they can't be changed. And, of course, that can deter 
those with caring responsibilities. Um, but it's interesting that other sectors that in the past have been um, also claimed, like construction, claimed that there are very fixed hours for building sites, have managed to um, introduce more flexible patterns of working, such as allowing uh, slightly later construction site work times or allowing flexibility uh, for parents, both men and women, to be able to um, leave at times necessary to pick up children from school. So I think, you know, if we're talking about these kind of work-life balance issues, clearly they, are, they have benefits for fathers who want to be involved with um, caring for their children as well. And despite resistance, some sectors have managed to do it. Yes. I'm reminded of a an example, a positive example of the benefits for men as well as women mm. um, in the workplace uh, comes from uh, a port where uh, prior to women uh, being employed to work uh, in the port, the men had no toilet either. Right. So mm. through the introduction of, of women to the workplace, mm. um, men also found that uh, it, it, it's not ideal to, for anyone to mm. have to... Mm. Um, just go in nature that mm. um that you know it, it's not just a woman's right to a to a safe yeah, toilet absolutely. it's it's yeah. it's a worker's right so yeah. Yeah. Uh, benefits for all yeah <laughs> tessa have you heard any stories of women struggling with this problem i mean i think retention is is often an issue when women are the, are the first or the only ones in male work environments um and there was there was an example of success by the vienna public transport company in attracting young women as apprentices, um, for example, in vehicle engineering, where they used um, preferential treatment of women for technical jobs. And they also ensured that women were not placed in teams where they were the only woman, um, so that they could go in and not, not feel that they would be um, alone or isolated. Um, and also, I thought it was interesting that they wanted to use female instructors where possible so there was a sort of a role model doing doing the training um so again they they saw that yes it was kind of normal and usual to have women in these roles um in the company and and this didn't come about by accident this was a sort of conscious strategy to address the problem of uh, retention in the sector tessa what tools or strategies do you think could be employed by the transport industry to address the segregation one of the things that I think is really important is public sector procurement, and this is an area that I've been researching um, in relation to the construction sector, uh, prompted by the example of the London Olympics. And I think that was a very important moment because they decided, because they were spending huge amounts of public money um, in East London to build the Olympic Park, that they wanted to address some equality objectives and that included within the construction sector workforce so they set targets specific numerical targets for the numbers of women the number of ethnic minorities and disabled workers who are all underrepresented groups in construction um, and th so those targets were set at the highest levels they were then put into practice through the main contractors the main contractors then had to make sure that their subcontractors uh, complied with, with the equality um, action plans that they'd put into place to try and achieve, um, to, to meet these targets. And this, the, they were monitored. There was good, um, proper accountability through uh, monitoring of the targets. So they couldn't just set objectives and just tick boxes and say, well, t you know, pretend we've met them. They were actually looked at to see what, what are their action plans? How are they going to... Um, make sure that there are genuine opportunities for women, for ethnic minorities and for disabled workers on the project. And one of the things they did 
specifically was they, they had the women in construction project working on the site, which provided support to women, it provided access to women uh, who wanted to enter the sector, um, and they helped with the kind of the monitoring and the improvement. And sort of ever since then, really, I think the construction sector has been much more open to using public sector procurement. There have been drivers um, also such as social value is now a thing that is considered in social in, in um, public procurement, so local authorities, public bodies, when they're spending large amounts of public money, have to think about what additional social value they can get from um, the work that, the, the money that they're putting in, the, the public money, our money. Um, and I think this is something that the transport sector is behind on, but could be doing an awful lot more with. And it's, can, I think it can either work through uh, when it's public projects, so public transport projects, infrastructure projects, where the money is coming um, from public funds, um, but equally where the money might be coming from um, other sorts of sources of funding. You know, the World Bank funds new um, infrastructure projects in many cities around the world. Um, and I don't think they do enough either to monitor, to, well, to set the objectives in the first place that could um, work towards gender equality or other aspects of equality, and then to actually monitor how are these put into place, you know, who, who does benefit in terms of the jobs that are being offered. So it seems to me that there's an awful lot more there that could be done. And of course, unions then have a very important role in, uh, well, partly I think in setting the objectives, in working with the... Um, the, the commissioners of these projects at the beginning to say this is what we think you need to see in it and that did happen with the Olympic Park the TUC in the UK were um, involved in setting the objectives and working uh, with, the, with the trade unions and the employers um, but also then in, in, in the monitoring I think uh, trade unions have a very important role to, to play there to make sure that this, the, the aims are met. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, that's an area that I'm kind of, you may be able to tell, quite excited about, and I think it has a lot of potential, um, but is just not being, not being used enough. So I would like to see that uh, being, being pushed, really. Thanks, Tessa. And, and certainly in our experience, when women are um, part of the conversation mm. or considerations for women are part of the conversation, particularly in public transport, it tends to almost universally be women as users of public transport. Yes. and. Uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely, we see that as yes. our role as a, as a global federation um, to work with our affiliates to ensure that uh, women workers yes. are, are <laughs> equally considered um, to be part, to, ha to have needs, but also to yes. be part of that solution to a yes. more equal and just yes. Yes. Uh, transport system. Absolutely. Tessa, is there hope on the horizon? Are you optimistic <laughs> about the future for women in general and in transport? <laughs> um, I think... Uh, Yes, I have to. I have to say yes. Um, yeah, there's a, there's always there's always hope and there's always um, change on the horizon. I think in relation to the transport sector, um, it is changing dramatically in response to both um, action to address climate change and uh, due to automation of the sector. And of course, this offers both challenges and opportunities for transport workers. So um, inevitably, automation does carry carry risks of job losses, uh, particularly in jobs that women might be doing, such as sales or clerical work. But I think on on the positive side, it opens up possibilities uh, for new forms of work, for example, in IT-related positions, um, or as drivers or technicians operating cleaner, safer technology. So as new, um, you know, electric vehicles are introduced, uh, they may be kind of you know, they may, they may offer better working environments for everybody. Um, and I think whether workers, and especially women, can benefit from these new opportunities depends 
again on union organisation and campaigning. Um, so I'm, I'm aware that the ITF has been proactive in preparing for changes in transport work um, by building campaigns, by encouraging women to be active in their unions, um, which means that issues such as sexual harassment, occupational gender segregation, toilet facilities, flexible work hours, gender pay gaps, and changing changes in work resulting from automation um, become bargaining priorities with employers and become kind of normal parts of the bargaining process rather than sort of add-ons. So Tessa, what can unions do to end this injustice for women workers? Well, I think one of the things that unions are doing is giving, um, empowering women to kind of be part of the union. Um, so a lot of unions now do have women's sections, uh, parts of the union where women are kind of organising and active um, and, you know, women are kind of coming through the unions. Um, but sometimes that can be a bit uh, sort of marginalised, that can be on the sidelines of the union. So I think there's um, where unions make kind of structural changes to ensure that uh, women have seats at the highest levels in unions, that is extremely important so that their voices are heard not just when discussing what's seen as women's issues, but they are they are there for the pay negotiations. They are there for the kind of talking about issues of, of privatisation or restructuring in the industries. You know, that women's voices are there. So that's that's one thing, and and I think that has to go also with them. Um, so it is a sort of mainstreaming, isn't it? So it's providing funding and resources so that that work can happen, um, and prioritising issues on the bargaining agenda so that so that it's really kind of a mainstream part of unions work rather than a, a sort of an activity that the equality department or the women's department um, solely has ownership of um, so I think we, we that is happening but there is a lot more that could be done um, in trade unions there definitely and how about the transport industry mm. what can the industry do to make sure that decent transport jobs and promotions are open and attractive to women Wow, now that's that's the the big question, isn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's it's going beyond issues like just making sure that I mean, recruitment I've talked about is is important, but you have to make sure that women can remain in the jobs. So it isn't just about kind of providing training to give them the skills to kind of get into the job or get in through promotion, but making sure that actually the structures of the industry are. Um, flexible enough for women to be able to kind of fulfill their other responsibilities as well as men um, that male dominated kind of work environments do not push women out so that the issues such as uh, the practical issues toilets facilities are all addressed um, sexual harassment is taken seriously cultural um, you know cultural traditions around around bullying and the way the work environments are um, are addressed and taken seriously so there's, there's certainly more that needs to be done. And as I, as I said, I think I'll come back to kind of procurement as a, a useful tool and a lever for if you've got kind of both, if you've got targets which are about the numbers, so you're improving the, the gender balance, then that, that sort of critical mass of women helps change the culture. Um, but you're not just, you, don't, you haven't just got numerical targets, you've got the action that supports meeting those through making sure that the working environment is is um, bearable and sustainable for, for women workers and that includes kind of support from different levels from unions from employers. Tessa thanks so much that will be um, 
great uh, motivation for our listeners, <laughs> I'm sure. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. It helps other people to find us. In the show description, you will find out more information about the ITF and links to our work in this area. Now let's hear from Jasmine Labada, a shipping captain from the Philippines. We've produced a film telling the stories of three women working in male-dominated transport jobs. And here's a clip of Jasmine Labada from the film. So what does the future of work look like for women? The reality of automation for transport workers globally looks like it could have a worse impact on women than men. Take the Transmillennial Bus Rapid Transit System in Bogota as one example. 85% of the 2,700 ticket sales people are women. Plans have recently been revealed by management to greatly increase the number of automated ticket machines, which will put most of these workers out of a job. By tackling gender inequality in the workplace, we could be securing a future for thousands of women transport workers all over the world, while also opening the door for more women to join our industry. We are told this is a man's world, but women like Saida, Renata, and Cecilia have proven that it's not. This is our world. But there are worrying signs that the struggle for equal access to jobs for women in the transport industry is still very real and even getting harder. So if we assume that change will happen without each of us playing our part, our daughters and granddaughters will still be subjected to the same discrimination and abuse simply for being women who work in our industry. And that is not equality. We owe it to our sisters like Saida, Renata, and Cecilia, who opened the door for us. And we owe it to our daughters and granddaughters and to ourselves to stand together and challenge our employers, our unions, our societies to do more. The whole film includes the stories of women transport workers from Morocco, Poland and Argentina and you find it on the ITF website and there's a link in the show description. <laughs>